Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week to talk about a topic that we do touch on with some frequency, although a little bit of a different angle this week, and that is hot 1031 money. Do you have hot 1031 money? Well, don't worry. If you did, you'd know what I'm talking about. And if you don't and you want to learn more, well, that's what we're going to dive into this week. What's a 1031? We've touched on that before, but some of the particulars around the requirements in particular timing, which is what leads to hot 1031 money. And if you do have hot 1031 money, what can you do about it? What could I do about it? What can I do as more polling to help you? And how actually do you avoid getting in that position in the first place? That's this week's topic. If you have any questions or if you have some hot 1031 money, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Please swing by the Learning Center, check out all the great content there, webinars you can register for. You can also take a look at recorded content on the Multifamily Real Estate channel, and uh, you can access podcasts and register for our weekly updates. All right, so with that, let's get to this week's topic, Hot 1031 Money. So let's back up and start first with what's a 1031. Uh, if you've been a listener for any length of time, you this is a little repetitive, potentially. Uh, 1031, a like-kind exchange, is a tax provision that allows an investor, when they sell a piece of real estate, to take the gain, the profits from that investment, and defer the tax on it by exchanging that piece of real estate for another piece of real estate. And you might ask, well, how do you exchange it? When you sell a piece of property, you get a bunch of money. And when you buy a piece of property, you have to give them a bunch of money. And that is absolutely true. And that is exactly what happens. The exchange happens because there's a firm called an intermediary that gets in the middle of all that. And they actually get the money from the first sale, and then they actually put that money into the new asset, the second generation asset. And this is something that's unique to real estate. You can't do a 1031 on a bond or a share of stock or anything like that. This is something that's one of the wonderful benefits of investing in uh, commercial real estate. So a 1031 allows you to defer tax. Let's just make an example here. Let's say that we had purchased a piece of property for $5 million and we put $3 million in when we purchased it as well as over time. And when we sold, maybe we sold for $8 million and we not only got our $3 million back, but we got another two on top of that. So we walked away with $5 million. So we made $2 million and maybe there's some cash along the way and some other things. It's also some depreciation items. We're not going to go into that level of minutia right now, but basically there's a couple million dollars in gain that if all we did was sell that asset, we'd owe tax on the $2 million. If we're going to buy another property though, 
then we can do this via a 1031 exchange and the tax on that 2 million can be deferred, meaning it won't be due and realized as a gain for tax purposes until that next asset gets sold. And actually that would only occur if we didn't do a 1031 at that point in time. So you can see where this might lead to building a chain of 1031s. And that's absolutely a, a strategy that many of our clients uh, execute and that uh, one of the things that we do uh, to help folks. So if I wanna do this 1031, how does it work? Well, there are requirements. There are requirements for the structure of the investment, the size of it and so on. And there are some requirements around timing and timing is where the hot money comes in. So the requirements around the sizing and so on, again, we're not gonna get into a great detail. We've done that before and, and we'll probably have some more sessions in the future that will look like that. The timing, uh, pardon me, the requirements around sizing and so on are pretty simple. And that is you have to, one, purchase an asset that's larger, i.e. dollar-wise, so costs more than the asset I sold. So if I bought a piece of property for $5 million and I sold it for $8 million, I have to buy a replacement property that's $8 million and $1 or more. And that's one of the requirements. Another requirement is that $5 million that I got out, remember I, I had put $3 million in and then I made $2 million. So when I sold the $8 million property, I got a check for $5 million. Well, that would have gone to my intermediary. All of that $5 million needs to go into equity in the new asset. Now, there's some issues uh, to keep an eye on around non-1031 deductible expenses, loan fees and reserves and some other items. Not gonna go in any of that today. Just suffice it to say that the 5 million that you received at the sale has to go into the new asset. Now, if you don't put the entire 5 million in, or if you buy a property that's not 8 million and $1, you could still see some tax benefits because you're now potentially in an area of doing a partial 1031. But to protect yourself from boot, which is the term, uh, rather arcane in my mind, but it is the term that's used for the gain that exposes you to taxes, unless you want to be exposed to boot, you have to do those two things. So all of those requirements are requirements for a 1031 and have nothing to do with hot money. So that's just some background on 1031. Now let's talk about hot money. And what we mean by hot money is it's you're under the gun, you're on the clock, you have to do something within a certain period of time, or else you have a failure of your investment. And what that means for a 1031 is this is I buy my property for $5 million, I hold it for several years, I sell it for 8 million, let's say that I sold it for 8 million in the middle of October. October 15th or thereabouts. I am now on the clock. What I mean by that is this, is there are two timing requirements associated with 1031s that must be met or else it's not a 1031 and you lose that tax protection. So this is pretty important. This isn't just like the boot example I gave, where if you were a little smaller, Maybe you end up with some kind of partial 1031 and maybe you don't get all the tax protection. This is binary. 
it either works as a 1031 or it doesn't. So you have to comply with the timing. And there's two timing elements. One is within 180 days of the sale of your property, right? So our $8 million property we're selling, within 180 days, you have to close the acquisition of the replacement property. I think, and in my experience, it is absolutely the easier of the two timeframes to manage. That doesn't mean that you couldn't have an issue if you got close to that 180 days in which you maybe would need to get creative about finishing that deal. Generally speaking, though, that's not the challenging timeline. It is the second one. And the second one is actually the first one that you will run into. And that is the 45-day identification period. Within 45 days of the sale of your assets so or $8 million property that we're selling, within 45 days, you have to identify the asset that you're going to buy as its replacement, the asset you're going to exchange into. So again, in the example I was sharing, if we sold our $8 million property around the middle of October, 15th or thereabouts, 45 days is basically putting us at the end of November. So by the end of November, we have to have identified the property that we're going to exchange into. Now, when you do that identification, you don't do that with the IRS. It's not like you send them a note and say, I'm going to buy this property. You do that with the intermediary, that firm that I talked about that holds the cash from the sale and then puts that cash from your asset into the replacement property. There's a form that gets filled out with them. And actually, you get to identify three properties. And there are other variants of it, but that's probably the most common one. And again, we're trying to keep it simple today. So you can identify three properties that you're going to buy. And that way, if maybe one fell through, well, then you could shift to the other one and still close it within the 180 days. That's the idea behind having three. But you have to have something identified by day 45 or else you're done. So that's really being on the clock. And that's what we mean when we say hot 1031 money. I cannot tell you how many phone calls I get from folks that call saying, I understand you can help me with a 1031. And we say, quite possibly. And then they say, I'm at day 42. <laughs> and in many instances, I have to say, well, I'm sorry, I can't do anything for you. Three days is not going to be enough time for us to help someone. Normally, and this is the way you can avoid being in that hot money position. Normally, we would want to work with someone maybe six months in advance of when they're selling. And that way we can design an acquisition that's going to work for them. We can work on the timing so that as they're selling their property and it's closing, we're going under contract and performing due diligence on the replacement property. And we really don't have any question about which asset is going to be the replacement or getting it closed within that 180-day time frame. But there are instances where people will call and say, 
I, I have hot money. Can you help me? And in certain circumstances, we're able to say yes. Right now, and this is one of the reasons we brought this up as a topic this week, while it does come up from time to time, right now it's an active topic because I have an acquisition underway in which there's room for anyone that might have hot 1031 money. So that we thought it might make sense to share this as a learning opportunity for everyone. It is rare, and I would highly encourage any of you that are thinking about selling an asset and executing a 1031 to put the proper planning into it so that you don't end up with hot money. And by that, I mean, you don't end up with your asset closed, the money sitting in the hands of the intermediary, and it's day five, and then it's day 12, and then it's day 26. And the next thing you know, it's day 37, and you've got about a week left, and you have not found anything yet, and you're in jeopardy of having your 1031 fail. So you want to avoid that as much as you can. If you do find yourself with hot money, you want to be talking to the community and finding out who might have an opportunity for you to place those dollars. I can tell you this, and I would encourage you to at least give this thought, and that is no tax savings are so valuable that they're worth buying a property that's a bad fit. We have had 1031s that are very successful. We've had assets that we've sold where we've had to work diligently to find a replacement, and we have, and it was a good replacement. And we've had properties where we've sold the asset We've begun the 1031 process, and during that 45 days, it becomes clear that we are not going to find a suitable asset that will meet the criteria for us to feel comfortable making that investment. And in those scenarios, we cancel the 1031, and we pay the tax. You're going to pay the tax anyway. This is about tax deferral. Yes, there's a way you can turn this into tax avoidance. Again, a topic for another day. It's tax deferral. If I pay the tax now, it's not as good as if I can pay it later, but it's also not the end of the world as compared with I buy a property that's a, a challenge or worse yet, a real problem child, simply so I can defer some tax that I'm going to end up paying anyway. That just does not make any sense. So planning helps reduce the likelihood of that greatly. And anytime you are executing a 1031, I would encourage you to think about it the way we do. And that is, this is one of the potential outcomes. And I also need to be comfortable not completing the 1031 if I don't end up with a quality asset. So if you have hot 1031 money, or if you know somebody that does, we're happy to talk with them. Not only now where we have something in the pipeline that, that I know could work, um, but at any point in time, because we've always got a couple of projects that we're working on, and we just have to see if the timing lines up uh, or not from that, uh, from that standpoint. One additional item to keep in mind with regard to identification. Let's look at the scenario I was describing a moment ago, where we have an asset that's being sold and at the same time, we're in the process of buying the replacement. So they're running in parallel, but a little staggered. 
such that the sale is going to close maybe on the first of the month and the replacement could close on the 20th of the month. That's pretty tight, but let's just say that they're running like that. So clearly we can identify very quickly, right? We could close the sale of that first asset on the first of the month and we could just identify right away. Don't do it. Wait until we get to the point where we have to identify. Now in that scenario, it would be, you know, maybe a, a week before because the intermediary would need to have you formally tell them what property you're buying to get the paperwork moving in the right direction and all of that. But the reason to hold off, and in some instances, even we tell folks, if they have the time, don't identify until that 40th or 42nd or 44th day even. And that is because of this factor. If you identify and then ultimately fail to close, right? You end up picking the phone up and calling the intermediary saying, yeah, I said I was going to buy 123 Main Street. I had an issue come up and it just wasn't going to be a good deal. So I said, no. They're going to say, okay, you understand you're going to have to pay that tax. Yeah, I get it. I'm okay with that. Just send me my money back. Happy to on day 181. Because once you have made that identification and moved into that next period, the intermediary can't release the funds unless you either close or unless you get to that extended period. And you could potentially find yourself in a position, remember the original dates we talked about here, you sold something in the middle of October, that 180th day is going to be next spring, you could conceivably find yourself in a position where you're filing a tax return and having to pay tax on gain that you were hoping to defer. And now you don't have the cash to pay the tax because the intermediary is still hanging on to your funds until you get to that 180th day. Big piece of that story is this. You want to make sure you really understand how 1031s work. Intermediaries are fantastic partners. They will explain to you the process. They will not answer questions about taxes because that's not their job, but they will explain the process. Your CPA, and I know all of our wonderful listeners all have great CPAs because we've talked about that so many times. Your CPA will be able to help you in terms of understanding what this potentially means for you tax-wise. 1031s are not difficult to do. They are fantastic tools. They have a number of moving parts that you need to stay on top of. And if you don't, you could find yourself with some hot 1031 money. And if you do, give us a call. I may or may not have anything to help you with. Like I said, right now, I, I have some assets that could potentially be of assistance. And I might not. I also might know someone who does or be able to make some other calls and help you get connected with a network that might be able to help you in that particular situation. Best to avoid being in that situation, but if you do find yourself there, you're on the clock and it's it's time to get moving. I hope you found this week's session valuable and that it made sense. I know 1031s can be complicated or confusing sounding. We've talked about them quite a bit. So there's a lot of great content to go back into the archives and listen to. If you've got a question based on something I said this week, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. 
And please join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.